Hey, everybody, I'm Fran Frischella, and welcome to the World of Basketball podcast, where we take you around the basketball globe, trying to touch every corner of the world. And this week, uh, we have a, a little bit of a unique World of Basketball podcast. Uh, I will spend the next hour or so with Chris Spatola, our, our uh, outstanding um, SiriusXM radio host, uh, ACC radio. He does college basketball on ESPN. And what we're going to do this week is a little unique. We're going to give you my thoughts on all of the international kids or most of them that are in this draft, especially the guys that are likely to go really high. And uh, of course, the world has changed in 20 years uh, as far as the NBA is concerned, because um, at least most recently, between 20 and 25% of the league is now born outside of the United States uh, or has some connection to basketball around the world. Uh, think of Precious Achua, who will be a first-round pick, young man out of Memphis, whose family was from Nigeria and emigrated to New York City. Nico Mannion, who, uh, you know, is a, is a Utah kid, so to speak. His dad played uh, at the University of Utah, but um, played in Italy, and Nico was actually born in Italy. So he has dual citizenship and uh, so on and so forth. There. Uh, Deron Hayes' son, the outstanding Penn State player from the 80s and 90s, his son Killian Hayes, uh, who was born in Lakeland, Florida, but considers himself as French as he does American, uh, you know, certainly will be a high pick. R.J. Hampton and LaMelo Ball, two kids born in the States who played in Australia this year. So we cover the gamut, and Chris will help me do that. Uh, by the way, if you're enjoying what we're doing on World of Basketball podcast, uh, subscribe as we head up into uh, the mid-20s in terms of shows and Feel free to go back and listen to some of the great uh, shows we've already done with people like Jeff Van Gundy and the great Andrew Gaze, Austin, the Australian, you know, father of basketball, if you will. Uh, so many good shows we've done so far. So subscribe, give us a high rating so we can keep bringing this to you. And also, if you're enjoying, uh, as you're getting ready for the draft, tune in to Sirius XM NBA Radio as we now are coming at you fast and furiously with shows virtually every night from 7 to 10 Eastern time. Uh, some of them are live, some of them are taped, uh, but you're getting a lot of great basketball information. I will be on uh, often, I think, between now and next Wednesday, and then also host some, host some shows in and around the draft next Wednesday night. So uh, we got you covered world, wall to wall, and certainly the international um, – the international uh, players are well represented this year. Uh, I'll bring in my buddy, Chris Tyler, because Chris, um, we are going to see some Aussies in this draft. I know I, I know I like to jab you a little bit about that, but Josh Green, the youngster from Arizona, is likely going to be uh, in this, uh, go high in this draft somewhere in the first or early second round. Yep. Um, and he's a kid that uh, I think, I believe his dad is American who played in Australia. Yep. Mama's an Aussie. Uh, he came back to the States to go to high school and college the last few years. And uh, so he'll be an interesting guy. He will. As well as, well as LaMelo Ball and RJ Hampton, who played in the NBL last year. And we're claiming them as Australian. If anyone knows Australians, we pretty much claim any celebrity that has ever been to Australia as Australian. <laughs> the fact that exactly. they played in the Australian league, even though technically RJ Hampton played for New Zealand, part of the same league, yeah. we still yes. classify both of those guys as as Australians, so we could potentially have, or we will have, three Australians in the first round of the NBA draft. It's going to be nice. Well, and of course, and of course, uh, of course, you claim uh, Kyrie Irving. 
hundred percent. He was born in Melbourne. Exactly. He was born in exactly. my home city. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. We've had Melbourne. So. Melbourne's had three number one draft picks. So Andrew Andrew Bogan. Yep. Uh, Kyrie Irving. Who's number three? Ben Simmons. Ben Simmons. There you go. Son of Dave Simmons, who uh, New Yorker, who played in Australia for a long time. Yep. And, uh, and Ben is, uh, you know, Ben is Aussie, although they have a nickname for him. Yank. On the, uh, <laughs> Yank. Yep. <laughs> but, uh, no, it's great. Uh, so that's what we're doing. And, by the way, uh, NBA training camps are opening up December 1st. The season now officially will get underway December 22nd. Uh, free agency will happen shortly after uh, the draft on Wednesday night. So it's going to be a free for all uh, starting up the NBA season, but good news for almost everybody, unless you play for the Lakers or the Miami heat. But I think overall, I think uh, the sacrifice the players are making to make sure that uh, the season gets underway and the coffers are filled with TV revenue, I think is a real positive for NBA fans. Absolutely. Just less than a month, or just just over a month away until we start back. It's exciting. I don't think any of us really expected to see it start this early. I think we were probably expecting it to start back in January. But this is good news for basketball fans, especially fans of those teams that haven't played since March. It's been a long time. Exactly. Yeah, the Delete Eight, the t- eight teams that did not play in the bubble have not played since roughly March 11th. So uh, good news for almost everybody and uh, for those guys who uh, – are sacrificing on the Lakers and Miami Heat. You know what? You guys had a pretty good season, especially the Lakers who won a uh, NBA title. So, hey, well, listen, with that, um, you're going to get my insight and, and a little bit about how I got interested in international basketball as well. So I guess kind of, I guess I'm my own guest today on the show with help from Chris Patola and my buddy Chris Tyler. So uh, without further ado, here's some real uh, juicy stuff, I believe, on the, the upcoming NBA draft as it pertains to the international players in this draft. Enjoy. Chris, uh, you're a man of many different hats, and you're going to be doing uh, – hopefully we'll, be, we'll both be doing some TV soon, but thank you for being on World of Basketball as we get ready with a very special World of Basketball podcast. We get to talk about the international players uh, that are in uh, this coming week's NBA draft. So thanks for helping out this morning. Well, you, I, I came running. You said uh, we're going to talk international hoops. We're going to talk international prospects. Nobody better than you at doing that. So uh, you, you certainly didn't have to beg me to be here. And with a little more room to operate, Coach, uh, you know, I've been, meaning, I've been wanting to get into you for a while now is how a guy like you, a New York guy, American through and through, became the international guru. I mean, how does this happen, Coach Fraschilla? Well, you know, first of all, you know me well enough to know that I'm a basketball junkie. So anything that's round, orange, and leather uh, is going to attract my attention. But in all seriousness, um, having that love of basketball that goes back to my childhood. Uh, when I was at Manhattan College, we had a young man on our team that I helped. Uh, we were fortunate enough to get him to come over to play for us, Geronimo Butero, who uh, was a kid from Madrid, Spain, six foot six, looked like. I think he was better looking than Jay Wright, but not quite as good looking as George Clooney, but in between, you know, and uh, uh, Geronimo came over and played for us. And uh, before his junior year, uh, 1995, we decided to take the team back over to Spain in order to get him home. And uh, a good friend of his who was really kind of his agent. um, We weren't allowed to call him his agent back then, but in effect, he was one of the big agents in Europe. Um, he helped us put together a trip to Spain. 
I fell in love with international hoops at that time, Chris. And then it preceded that I started to do clinics overseas. And when I left coaching in 2003, 2004, uh, Dan Steer, who at that time was running college basketball at ESPN and the NBA draft, said, hey, uh, do you have any international experience? Of course, I had a little bit, but I was a big fan. And he said, well, I want you to do the international guys. Okay, there's a niche there for you if you want to do it. I said, sure. So I went over to the Reebok Euro Camp in Treviso, Italy in 2004. And it was run by Donnie Nelson and Kiki Vandeweghe. And, of course, by that time, I was living in Dallas. And the guy that ran the whole camp, coincidentally, a guy named Pete Philo, who had played overseas, was now working for Reebok overseas, signing these great young players, and also working for the Dallas Mavericks, he happened to play for me at Manhattan College. So when I got to camp and Donnie said, Donnie Nelson, who I, who I knew pretty well, said, what are you doing here? I said, I'm here to cover the camp for ESPN. He goes, no, you're not. You're coaching. So they threw me out on the floor that week. I had a great time in 2004. And then I did, I did the next 12 seasons of coaching at the Euro camp. And I got to know everybody. And... Uh, it fed into my love of international hoops, and, and it gave me an access to the players. You know me anyway. I love to evaluate, break down guys, college, high school, whatever. And it just gave me a great entree into something I already love doing. And uh, I fell in love with international basketball, which obviously it continues to this day. So very fortunate that that confluence events all came together, and I became this, really, it's funny, international guru. I, it, it, it's what's amusing is more people kind of ask me about that than they do. How's how's the big 12 going to be? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I can understand. I mean, you, you've become synonymous with it. I I'm fascinated by it coach because it's, you know, we've had some of these conversations on our, our NBA draft show um, about how the evaluation of international prospects and you've been right there evidently as, as this has progressed, um, we've seen more of an influx into our college game. Uh, I remember being at Duke when uh, Martinez Pochis was, you know, sort of part of that Lithuanian train. Um, just the evaluation, how it's, it's. Um, I mean, you you had remarked one night that there's really no stone unturned these days. Um, Not anymore. International Not, prospects. Yeah. yeah, 20 years ago, you could find sleepers. You know, you really could. There, you know, or you could make mistakes like Skittish Vili or even Darko. You know. Uh, because people didn't know what translated back to the NBA. We knew they played, were getting better in basketball. Of course, it all goes back to Barcelona in 92, the dream team. It really does. It all starts from there uh, because uh, basketball, uh, although it was popular in pockets of Europe for sure, especially the former Yugoslavia, and, uh, you know, we remember the old Soviet Union team, which, by the way, people don't realize the reason it was so good because it wasn't because of the Russian players. It was the Lithuanian players who at that time were part of the old USSR, as we call them. So when Lithuania, Estonia and Latvia gained their independence in the late 90s, early uh, or late 80s, early 90s, and then the breakup of Yugoslavia into Croatia, Serbia, Slovenia, you had all these countries that already had this love of the game. And then you had, for sure, interest in Spain, Italy, and, and France. That, that was big basketball for, for a long time in Europe. But uh, the Dream Team really opened up the eyes to the rest of the world, to what the NBA was about. Um, and it gave kids like Dirk Nowitzki and Pau Gasol and then the others that came after them, Manu, certainly, 
the idea that I could come to America and play in the NBA. And so now it's so common, as we've talked about on the show, tw- nearly 25% of the league is born outside the United States. And the interesting thing, Chris, is, and this even goes back to when you were playing at West Point, you didn't play against that many international kids back then. And if you did, they were from Sweden, uh, Denmark, Belgium maybe, because the kids in the countries that had great professional basketball over there, they, were, they really didn't leave those countries because they signed as pros at an early age. And so you didn't see the Italian and the Spanish and the uh, you, uh, Serbian kids come over like a Duzon Rizdic did a couple of years ago at Arizona. They normally stayed in their own country because they turned pro at 18. And so, you know, the only kids you played against and I coached, um, you know, for the most part, were from those other countries. Now, when Geronimo came to, to, to America, he was an interesting kid because he was part of Real Madrid's club team. But his agent, his advisor, he kind of knew he wasn't going to play much. And his advisor was a very bright guy. He was an attorney in Spain. And so Geronimo said, I don't know if I want to turn pro yet. I really would like to get a college education. Is there any way I can go to the United States? And so when I got in touch with his advisor, um, it was at a point in time when he did eventually sign with us. Guess what? He sat out three or four games, NCAA rules. <laughs> and you, and you'll remain, you remember his very close friend, ready for this, Ricardo Peral. Yeah. Okay. From Wake Forest. Yes. See, Ricky, Ricky was, a, was a tremendous prospect in Spain. And Ricky came to Wake Forest and played for Dave Odom and had great success. And then a kid I could have had at Manhattan College, and I screwed up big time. Uh, oh, there was Rafael Vitoretta, who ended up in, at, uh, at uh, uh, Wake Forest. And then the last guy that I should have taken that went to Clemson with Rick Barnes, Ikira Turbe, who was best known for getting into a big to-do with Dean Smith. You know, that whole Rick Barnes, Dean Smith thing started because of Kira Turbe. So these were all Spanish kids. Um, let's see, as I recall, Ra- Rafael visited St. John's, but he chose Wake Forest. And then Kira Turbe, who went to Clemson, I turned him down at Manhattan. So, uh, you know, uh, but anyway, that's how it happens. You know, and now it's very commonplace that these kids are coming over to the States because they now see that unlike a Doncic or Ricky Rubio playing for Real Madrid or Barcelona, that it's just as easy for a kid to come over to the States, play college basketball, and still get drafted um, from, from those countries. So you're seeing more and more of that. And, uh, but the basketball globe shrunk. That's what you and I talk about every week. Yeah, no question about it. Well, and now we're starting to see, you know, as you look at some of the prospects in, in this particular draft coach, we're starting to see guys go from the United States to spend their time internationally. I mean, you know, the LaMelo Balls, the R.J. Hamptons, uh, the Killian Hayes. Uh, I, I don't think a lot of folks understand, realize, yeah, that Killian Hayes is, is, is here. His dad played at Penn State, and, and, and then ultimately, you know, he ends up becoming a friend, playing in France because his dad plays professionally over there. Well, you know, it's funny because we, that's happened. If you think about it, Tony Parker, right, his dad played in France. If we go and look at some of these kids that have come back over to the to the NBA, um, there are occasions where it's somebody's American father who went to, for example, Nico Mannion's dad, Pace, played in the NBA for a while but finished his career in Italy, and he met his wife, uh, uh, who was a great volleyball player there. That's where that's where Nico gets his jumping ability, not from his dad, but 
that's the beauty of this, you know, like a Killian Hayes was born in Lakeland, Florida, but we consider him a French kid because his dad uh, married a French woman and Killian came back to Lakeland every summer, hang out with the Hayes side of the family. But for the most part, we think of Killian and we think of him as a French point guard. Um, so this is a incre- it's what I love about basketball is it we, it kind of brings us all closer together. You know, it's like a kumbaya deal, you know, yeah. <laughs> so it's fun. Yeah, it's fun yeah. to hear the stories, yeah. too, of where the kids come from. It is. It is. Well, and, it, you know, the th- one of the things before we get to some of these prospects I, that I want to ask you about the coaching, too. I mean, the thing just doing the, the little part I, I played in the USA basketball experience with coach seeing these guys like we used to steal plays they had that we had never seen like the the level of coaching internationally i don't think people understand there's some great coaches who are coaching internationally it, it's amazing i've learned so much basketball in the last seven months because once the pandemic hit and i got sucked in to start doing some coaching clinics you know on zoom with young coaches and high school federations uh coaches coaches get togethers on zoom and uh, one of the things everybody asked me was Coach, can you do an international offense clinic? We'd love to know your thoughts because you you follow the international game. And it's amazing on Twitter and then on Zoom, the amount of information that's out there right now. Some really good friends of mine are doing, even if you put up like one or two plays a, a day, which I'll do, you know, I'll put up, hey, Barcelona just ran this sideline inbounds play. And then someone else is putting something else out there on Twitter. And it's caught fire. And... Uh, we've had the, you and I have talked about this before, Chris, but we taught the game to the to the international coaches back in the 50s, 60s, 70s. You know, guys like Dean Smith and and uh, and Chuck Daly and and Yubi uh, Brown certainly, and then later on Bob McKillop, who in the 80s and early 90s, I used to tell, like particularly in the 90s, I would say, you don't understand, Bob McKillop is more well known in Europe than Coach K is. Now that's changed because of the Olympics. But there was a stretch of time where Bob McKillop was the most well-known coach in Europe that was American because he was there every summer doing clinics in Iceland, in certainly Italy, where he had great connections. Uh, Bob, McK- Bob McKillop's like a god figure to coaches in Europe because of all the clinics he's done. And so, yes, we taught them the game. They studied the game, and now they're in many ways teaching it back to us, and we're stealing from each other. It's remarkable. It's particularly true in the NBA with spread pick and roll and big guys that play away from the basket. I mean, it, you know, if anything, the international game put guys like Roy Hibbert out of business. Yeah. You know, yeah. that that plotting big low post center. Um, now, if you're Marcus All, it's different, but Marcus All can shoot threes and pass the ball. So, you know, Jokic is seven foot 260, but can play point guard. So they've really had a great inf- in, uh, positive impact on – basketball around the world and, and and not just the NBA and college and high school basketball here in the States. Yeah. It's, it's, it's incredible. The Arch- Argentinians ran like this perpetual uh, wing pick and roll that we, we just used and, and it to get movement and David Blatt was over there, you know, just some really, really good coaches. Yeah. Uh, no question. Yeah. No, that's it, the beauty of basketball. You know, nobody knows it all, you know, like, even Coach K, I, I, I admire what he did because he saw what's going – he saw, like, you know, the continuity pick and roll that Duke runs now, right? That's what you're talking about. Uh, I've always admired guys who are not fixed in their mindset. And uh, 
because of your relationship with Coach K, I'm sure he was probably told you how much how much basketball he's learned just because of the Olympic experience. And we all have. We all have. We've all benefited from the what I always say is the basketball globe shrinking. Yeah. Let me ask you this, Coach, because one of the, the the great things that you the the picture you paint when you're you're analyzing these international prospects is this this idea of translation. How you're translating for an American audience where a guy is playing and the production that he had. So, you know, let's start with LaMelo Ball. Um, what do folks need to know about his international experience in, in terms of evaluating where he's at right now? Well, I think, first of all, uh, you know, let's, uh, let's call it like it is. I mean, it's a shame he didn't go to college. You know, it's a shame we didn't see him play at UCLA or Kansas or somewhere. Uh, simply because, and uh, not that it, not that he needs any marketing, because he's going to be like a top three pick. Maybe if he slides, he's top five, but he's certainly a, a worthy of a high pick. Um, but you know, that's not what his father chose to do. I thought the thing in Lithuania was a circus. Obviously, it was a, a basically made for reality TV. Um, but the Australian league, uh, they they have a program called Next Stars, and we mentioned R.J. Hampton earlier. Remember, it was Terrence Ferguson a couple years ago. It really wasn't, quote, Next Stars, but Terrence was a Dallas kid who was ineligible to go to Arizona, so he chose to go play in Australia, and um, he had a role, just he was a role player on a good team in the NBL, but he was six foot five and athletic and a good kid. And um, he ended up going, I think, 22nd to the Oklahoma City Thunder. And, uh, you know, he's, he starts in the NBA. He's probably 23 years old now. So he did it first. But LaMelo going down under along with RJ, the thing I think you got to know about the Australian League is it's not yet at the very top of the food chain as far as international hoops. It's getting better. Uh, but it's not the ACB and it's certainly not uh the euro league it's got american college players like bryce cotton and casper ware and scotty hobson and uh you know guys like that uh, jerome randall who got hurt this year a tbt guy those are the best american players in the nbl and to take nothing away from them they they were really good college players but they wouldn't be at the very top of the food chain in let's say euro league okay so um, the competition there is good, uh, not great as we, you know, it's better than college. It's better than, you know, the NCAA. So that's what you have to ev evaluate is where is he, how, how does that competition compare to the NBA, Europe and college? And I would say it's, uh, you know, G league level, maybe, you know, G I think G league level. Now the thing about LaMelo this year, when we evaluated him on tape is the pick and roll coverages were horrendous. Um, he's constantly switched off on by guys that are 6'8", 250, and he's going by them easily. The, I, I thought that was the one thing that worried me is, like, his isolation game is still a work in progress against great athletes. But, listen, this kid can really see the floor. He's six foot seven. He did enough in that league to show us that he does have the capability of being a good NBA player. But it wasn't like Luka Doncic, you know, dominating the Euro League. That's a whole different ball of wax. So you just have to know that going in when you're watching the NBL. You and I have talked about him a lot, and I, I you know, I was thinking about it this morning. You know, 
what's a different way to get your opinion on him? Because there, there are a lot of things he has you can't teach. I mean, the IQ, the passing ability, like you've said, the confidence. I mean, he's got, he's got a swagger and a confidence that you, you want out of, out of your lead guard, and, and he certainly has that. Here's my question to you. Are the holes in his game – a larger factor, so inability to shoot, uh, some question marks about, you know, character and all that stuff. Um, gets really wild, was afforded the opportunity to do some things, make more mistakes than an NBA team is going to want. Are the holes that he has larger, loom larger, do they loom larger than his positives, his strengths? Potentially. It's a really interesting study. You just made me think about something. You have to give his father a great deal of credit. Because LeVar Ball is going to produce two top five NBA draft picks in his family. So right off the bat, you got to give this man a credit. Now, you know, and, and again, we see the, we see the, uh, the showman and uh, whatever you want to call it, circus of the Ball family on TV. But, you know, LeVar Ball turned out two draft picks that are top five lottery picks. So that's pretty good. The interesting thing about it is how come he never taught either one to shoot? These, these kids are amazing passers. You know, people forget Lonzo was a great college passer, one of the best I've seen in 10 to 15 years. And LaMelo's got the same court vision, you know. And so I'm fascinated. Like, I don't know what kind of st- – I don't know if this would be a sociological study or, a phys- you know, I don't know, a, a scientific study. But I'd like to know, like, how these kids have this incredible vision for the game. Uh, LaMelo's a little bigger than Lonzo. He's 6'7". And so, you know, you don't see a 6'7 point guard with that kind of passing vision. So the question is, um, this shooting. And the shooting's a factor because the way, you, the way you create disadvantage in pick and roll is to cause confusion at the point of the screen as to whether we should switch or stay or show hard or show flat or drop. And when you can't shoot in pick and roll, it takes away one of your – weapons offensively and that means we're going under every screen okay we are going under every freaking screen now the coach has the coach has to do some things like by re-screening there's tactical things you can do but the bottom line is the kid is a brilliant passer he's a good athlete he'll be great in a transition game but yeah the shooting very much concerns me because I just don't see it's not a tweak it's a major overhaul if he has to fix it you know, there's a guy, uh, and I've, I've tried to watch a little bit more as his name starts to crop up, and, and he's a pretty unknown quantity. Folks knew who LaMelo was. They may not know vis-a-vis three, four years ago who he is now, but they know of him. Uh, Killian Hayes. Uh, you know, I actually, I've started to really like this guy, Coach. Now, I know he's left-handed and he's very, very dominant. I mean, you have to, like, actually zero in and try to lock. Does he go right at any point? He's certainly not going right to drive in most cases, and he's, he's not a great shooter, so he's certainly not going right to, to pull up. But there's a, there's a lot there. He's really young. What, what do you think of Killian Hayes? I like him. You know, there's things I don't like about his game. He is very left-hand dominant. He doesn't make a lot of plays going right. But I will tell you, he um, – I wouldn't say he's growing on me, but in this draft, as I look at – as I really look at every one of these top 15 guys, he grows on me more because I think, you know, he's six foot five. He has a really good feel for the game, Chris. He uh, and, and being a big point guard like LaMelo makes the game easier. 
because you know he could see, he could you know he could see over you know defenders and uh, those kind of things that we all know are valuable. Um, his shot's not broken, although he doesn't make a high percentage. He's got great footwork. Um, he's very fundamentally sound. Again, I'm really surprised that he doesn't go right. You know, like I always compare it this. When I used to give scouting reports to my team, I'd say, look, this kid, Spatola, he's a righty. He goes to his right hand like he's going 75 miles an hour on the highway. Now, when he goes left, he goes about 45. So we got to force him left, okay? And that's the way I would describe Killian. You know, like this guy, if, you, if, the, if the game was played on the left side of the court, he'd be the number one pick. Okay, he would be the first pick in his draft. Now, is it enough to can he overcome the the lack of right hand skill level? I think he I think he can. I think he can. I think that's just player development. And if he has a good agent, they've been working on that for seven months. You know, um, the other thing I would tell you about him is he he left France to go to the German league, which is an upcoming league. Okay, it's a good basketball league, and he played for a coach. Yako Lakovic, who was a star, he's like a 5'11 point guard from Slovenia, and everybody in Europe remembers this kid. Uh, I'm trying to think of who he would be, like a Bobby Hurley type, okay? And so Yaka's the coach, and they basically gave Killian the ball this year in the German league as, a, as an 18-year-old, 19. And they, they allowed him to play through mistakes against a level of play that was better than college. It's not the Euro League where those teams, like Real Madrid would beat Carolina and Kentucky by 30 and 40. Um, the German League team would beat the best USA team by 2025. Like Jordan Hulls from India, former Indiana player would get 20 against you. You know, and so you don't remember this, but back when I was a young coach, we used to play Marathon Oil every year in an exhibition game and all those teams, AIA. Lorenzo Romar would play for AIA, right? Athletes in action. And like... They would toy with you. Like, they'd make you think that you were playing with them, and then they would pull away late and beat you. And you figured out how good you were. Well, anyway, that's what the German League is like. Older, former college players uh, that are over there doing their thing. And so, Killian is going to be a good player because he played at a high level. Uh, but the right hand does scare me a little bit. But, it, again, that's what coaching is. You've heard me say this, by the way. You've heard me say this. What, we, what they call player development guys now – we used to call assistant yeah. coaches. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like yeah. if you needed to work yeah. on your left hand at West Point and you had two free hours, somebody grabbed you and you went into the gym and worked on your left hand. Of course. Of course. <laughs> you know? Of course. Yeah. So I, I, I like him and he's got good character. He's a good kid. You know, the, the, the story about his dad being, you know, kids born in Lakeland, Florida. So it'll be cool when to see him get drafted. Yeah. Ball, Hayes, um, you know, where, where does Denny Avdia in terms of, you know, and I, I say ball haze, those guys are, are regarded as probably going here. And I don't know if you feel differently in the top, you know, certainly the top 15, certainly, as you said, the top five for ball. Where does an Avdia, a Denny Avdia fit in here? Well, he fits in. I mean, it, honestly, I, I think uh, I think we're looking at three those three guys going in the first nine or ten. And I would add R.J. Hampton to that mix, even though you're not seeing that in the mocks. The workout intel I'm getting is very, very good, and I'm a fan. I might have told you that when we've talked. But let's talk Denny for a second. Um, you know, Denny's dad was Serbian, so he comes from a basketball culture, played on the national team in the 80s. He wasn't a great player by any means, 
but it's a small country. Serbia is like uh, New Jersey. Okay, seriously, it's like New Jersey. So, so the fact that his dad was on a national team is a big deal. Uh, but his dad finished his career in Israel where he met his mom. And so Denny's been in the basketball culture forever. Um, he's 6'9". He's got good size. Um, what I, uh, he has a good feel for the game. He's sloppy. Now, he's sloppy with his pass. He, he can really pass it. But he's one of those kids, if he played in college, he would drive you crazy because you're trying to get the sloppy out of his game. Um, but he's got, he, uh, he has toughness. Um, he's a good, reasonably good athlete. He's actually a good defender. He's not going to back down from anybody. And I, I look at Denny, uh, and he's got a shot mechanic that can be tweaked. I'm going to do something this week. I, I studied this all last night. Uh, and what he does, Chris, is his guide hand is on the, uh, on the, is on the front of the ball too much. Instead of being on the side, it's, he's just got that guide hand. And it's a minor tweak that I think he can fix. Um, but overall, I like him. Now, is he an all-star? I don't think he'll be that. Can he be a starter on a winning team? Remember, he's 19 or 20 now. Okay, but when he's 23, can he be the starting power forward for the Phoenix Suns as they make this climb up the, you know, the Western Division? He can. So what you're drafting is a, a starter, a good starter in time. Nothing, nothing out of the ordinary. Yeah, two things. Two things stood out. One, there is a toughness there. You mentioned this that you don't expect necessarily out of young euros like Israelis. that. Not to, not to pay, Israelis. Israelis. You're right. The toughness. Everybody joins yeah, the right. army. Everybody joins the army. Hey, <laughs> you know I, that. I'm telling you, coach. <laughs> when I was a, a, a lieutenant and a captain, we would have the Israelis come over. I was in the artillery. So we'd have their artillery guys come over. They're not messing around now. The, the, the Israeli military has lived in tough, so we don't have to get into it. They've lived in tough circumstances. Well, that's why, that's why, these, that's why their people are tough. Yeah. Because look, at the, look how small the country is. Look what they're surrounded by. And so that's why they can take care of themselves. But it kind of translates to the average citizen. And a young person like Denny has that chip on his shoulder. The other thing you got to remember about Denny is he's got the weight of his country on his back. They love basketball. He plays for Maccabi Tel Aviv, which is like playing at Duke. And so everybody, he's, a, he's already a national hero. They've won two European championships in the ju- junior level. So he's coming over with a chip on his shoulder and believes he's going to make it. And, and I was talking to somebody last night, one of my NBA friends, who said, you know, half of making it in the NBA. Oh, no, no, you know what? Amin says this all the time on our shows. Half of making it in the NBA is the belief that you belong. Yeah. And so this kid has that. He does. So he, he's going to be solid. I don't see all-star, but I could see him playing for 12 years in the league, being, being rock solid, being a good yeah. player. The other thing, too, Coach, with everything that shut down, he's actually played since most recently, really, probably most of these guys. Yeah, he did. They, they picked up the Israeli league in July. Um, a lot of people don't know that. But remember, the, he, he played in the Israeli league and the Euro league. And he didn't play as much in the Euro League. He wasn't really ready to be a first first line player in the Euro League. The the Israeli League. It, it would be like uh, an ACC team playing a non conference schedule. Think of Denny as playing really well in non conference games. Yeah. And then the Euro League is a different deal. So, um, but no, the potential's there to be a good NBA player. And you know, I see him going in that five to ten range for sure. Yeah. I uh, want to throw a few names at you guys I know much less about. 
Um, and, and you kind of pick and choose here. Maladon, Bolmaro, Pokashevsky, uh, these three guys, folks, are probably going to see their names a little bit here. What, what do you make of any of those yeah, three? Yeah, well, Balmero's an Arge- Argentinian kid, Leandro Balmero, who, you know, to, to your point, he's actually playing for Barcelona right now and is going to stay. I don't think he'll leave to come to the NBA. He's, uh, I'm not sure if Leandro's turned 20. I think he's turned 20. And he's a six foot seven. Um, uh, he's, a point, he's a point wing is what he is. He's not a great shooter. And he's not playing. He's playing like 12 minutes a game. If you combine the EuroLeague, where I think he's played seven or eight games, and then the ACB, you know, he's getting about 10 minutes a game. He's a terrific passer. Uh, a lot of people want to compare him to Ginobili because he's Argentinian. I compare him to the kid that's in uh, Chicago with the Bulls, a kid I watched when he was 15 years old, Tomas Satoransky from the Czech Republic. Tomas is a 6'7 point guard, and he's not, never been a great shooter. And that's what Leandro is. A lot of teams like him. Some teams may – he's the type of kid where if Boston can't deal those, those 26th and 30th picks, would consider taking a kid like this just so they don't have to put him on the roster this year. And, but there are teams higher than that like that like him. I worry about his shooting, but he's got great vision, good toughness, and uh, 20 years old, and he's 6'7", and he can play point guard. So the way Doncic has kind of revolutionized, revolutionized the game – being a big, strong point guard, much like a LaMelo or a Killian Hayes, I think there's some interest there. But I don't see him coming over here this year. Uh, Teo Maladon, same agent as Denny Avdia, a French kid. Um, now, he played in the French League last year. He and Killian Hayes will be on the national team for the next 10 years. Those two guys are the same age. They're close friends. Teo is uh, a right-hander. He's 6'5". He's a better shooter than Killian. He didn't get the experience this year that Killian did running a team because his team played in the Euro League and the coach didn't trust an 18-year-old as much as he would if you were coaching in Germany. So Jordan Taylor, who played at Wisconsin, good little player that played for Bo Ryan, was they shared the point guard spot. So Taylor played about 18 minutes a game, and uh, I think he's going to go in the later part of the first round, and I like him. He's a good kid. Um, you're getting at worst a backup point guard at worst, so and, and and maybe better than that, but a good solid all around six foot five point guard. Pokashevsky, two years away. Yeah, this is your guy right here, and he might he be two years away night. from being two years away. <laughs> yeah. uh, he's he, he's unique because there are teams that like him. I have a hard time warming up to him. I also know people who know the family, and okay. so I can't really get into it. But I. I You'd have to convince me that he was the best player left in order for me to take him. He's seven feet, 205 pounds, Chris. He's, he could slip through a wet straw and, and emerge dry. Okay, yeah. that's how thin yeah. he is. <laughs> yeah. He makes Brandon Ingram look like uh, Lou Ferrigno. Yeah. Uh, so, um, <laughs> but he's, he's a seven-foot skilled player. I mean, he can handle the ball. He shoots it. Um, I just don't like the way he plays. So I'm probably missing the boat on him. So I'm thinking right now he's two years away. <laughs> yeah. I haven't yeah. said that in a while. Let me – no, well, it's, it, it paints the picture for us. And you were right the last time you said it, the, 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 the time you did say it. You were right. So. Yeah, I felt bad about that, but it was true. Oh, the Raptors weren't happy about it, but yeah, you were right yeah. nonetheless. They were trying to pull you, you one were... over on people. He shouldn't have gone in the first round. 
Yeah. I can tell you that right now. He was he was uh, Bruno Caboclo, who's we're to, who we're talking about. And just just so you know, I want to you know, since this is my podcast, I can tell you yeah. the story, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, so I I knew all about him. And see, here's the here's how this is so fascinating. Like his agent, his agent was the Greek Freaks agent the year before. Okay, we all know him. He's a good guy. At, uh, I think it's Octagon in DC. And so, you know, the word starts to spread about a 6'9 athletic Brazilian kid. And so now what people didn't realize was Bruno had been to basketball without borders the year before. So there were teams that knew him. Um, Houston, for sure. I know Ma Manu, Manu was at the camp. I believe the camp was in Argentina. So Manu was at the basketball without borders camp. And I think Gerson Rosas ran the camp for the, from the Rockets. So, you know, the, a few teams found out about Bruno. I have good friends in Brazil. Anytime I have a question, I have two or three go-to people. So what happened was I had heard about him, and I studied him on the little tape I could find. And about, about 10 days before the draft, and yesterday was the 10-day pullout period, which is why you saw a lot of international kids pull out. Just so people who are listening to this podcast understand like the college kids had what august 3rd if you remember yeah they had yep. to pull out well the international kids don't have to pull out of the draft if they're an early entry until 10 days before which was yesterday so back then what happened was bruno stayed in the draft his agent was the greek freaks agent he's a 6'9 athlete and i thought okay he is this someone's taking him he's got a promise from a team somewhere well, it, what turns out to happen is I find out that there, were, there was one team definitely taking him. Then another team found out. So he was gonna, they were going to be taken in the early second round. And it's hard to explain this. I can't really explain it on a podcast. But it's very peculiar that certain mock draft people knew about him but never put him in their top 60. Okay, I'll just leave it at that. Okay, and that's no big deal. That's what they do. They, they might have a deal going with some team and they get a few – bucks in their pocket whatever but we knew those of us who studied this that he was going to be taken in the mid-second round well any anyway toronto panicked it may be a bad word but that's probably what they did they were afraid they weren't going to get this kid they were maybe thinking greek freak and so they took him with the 20th pick i was flabbergasted when it happened so i'm i'm explaining like that down down in brazil they call this kid the brilliant brazilian kevin durant and that's not what i thought but that's what people said about him and that he's an athlete and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I ran out of things to say. And I still had 15 more seconds before I threw it back to Reese Davis on the set. And I said, Reese, and at Danny Knee, when we'd go see a big kid when I was recruiting for him when I first started in coaching at Ohio University, I remember coming back one time and Danny said, how was the big kid? I said, ah, Danny, I don't know. I don't know if he's good enough. He's not ready. He's two years away. So he goes, oh, I don't mind if he's two years away, but I don't want him to be two years away from being two years away. Yeah, so that okay. always stuck in my head. Yeah, and so I'm, I'm, ru I'm running out of things to say <laughs> yeah. in front of a national audience, right? And I said, hey, listen, this kid's two years away from being two years away. And it just came out of my mouth. It, it left the kid. like he'll, It'll be in his Wikipedia page forever um, and probably mine. But um, – it turned out to be, you know, an accurate statement. So anyway, that's yes, a long-winded way of telling you that no, story. No, it's a great story. It's a great story. <laughs> and I, I thought you had written it down as a line to use. No. And you're telling us it just came to oh, you on the moment. It came out of nowhere. Because really, yeah. it was, to me, I felt bad. It was kind of a hurtful line. 
but it just happened by accident. It turned out I believed it, and it turned out to be the truth. And Bruno's now in Houston. Hey, listen, the kid's made a lot of money. He was a first-round pick, so God bless him. And, you know, I, I hear he's a good kid. I've never met him. I've been like 20 feet from him at the NBA Summer League, and I wanted to go up to him and say, I'm the guy. But I didn't know how he would react, you know. But, uh, hey, listen, that kid's made a lot of money. He stayed in the league now for what's probably six or seven years. He's got an NBA pension. God bless him. It's great. Yeah, no it's kidding. a great country. Uh, I hope we have time because I do want to ask you about this guy. Um, hey, guy it's my podcast. I- we have time. Beautiful. All right. Well, I got to get this in because I have fallen yeah. in love with this guy, a guy that we, you and I have, have covered in the Big 12 extensively. And I said this to you, I think it was during a commercial break because we haven't really gotten into Yudoka Azubuki on the show. I, I said, if he, was, if he was north of 60% from the foul line, I, I think he's a no-brainer. If he could do anything outside of five feet, he's a no-brainer. But you're talking, Coach, about by far the most physically imposing player in college basketball this year. He has certainly changed his body. He has certainly become capable defensively. And, look, outside of five feet is a challenge, but inside of five feet, this guy is catching and finishing uh, at a 70% clip. At least that's what he did in, in college basketball. Somebody's got to take this guy, I think. I think he helps a team. Yeah, it, he. I'll tell you, Chris, I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm fortunate. You cover the Big 12, too, so you've seen him, you know, nearly as much as I have. Um, and, and, by the way, Udoka is only 21. Oh, okay. See, Udoka came here. He started college a lot like uh, Svi Mikhailuk, who uh, also played at Kansas. Udoka is only 21. He's the most physically dominant player in college basketball in the last, um, I don't know, three or four years. And I'm not talking about the. I'm not talking about the best player, although he's certainly been up there in that mix. I mean, I I think he could have easily, if it wasn't for Devon Dotson. Now they made each other better, but I really believe that Udoka could have been a national player of the year. But except for we put so much attention on the fact that they had two All Americans, that it was Obi Toppin versus them. And by the way, they played one of the great games of the season when when uh, Kansas beat Dayton in overtime and Udoka had 29 and 15 against Dayton. And so anyway, Udoka is a freak and he's, he's born in a different era. If he was born like in the eighties and nineties, he'd be a top five pick. But what I love about this kid is he's a tremendous athlete. Don't make any mistake about that. When he keeps his weight down about 260, and he's, and he's seven feet tall, he's a tremendous athlete. And we saw him move his feet this year. The other thing about him, and I think I think I, I I think he had 250 dunks in his career, and remember he was hurt a lot, and it was freak injury, so it wasn't like it was a knee; it was like broken bones and stuff. But um, the one thing that concerns me, the only thing I think there's a there's definitely a spot for him on an NBA roster, um, especially in light of the fact that it, big guys will always cycle back around. Is this Chris? He shoots 40 percent from the foul line. So right off the bat, we saw it happen at times in the Big 12 where they got the hack dope thing going. So that's my only concern. If that kid shots, like, you know, like we said, 60%, 65%, analytically, you're going to always foul him because if he's making 35% of his free throws, that, that's 0.7 points on a possession. And so analytically, you're going to foul this kid a lot, especially if you play him in the fourth quarter of games. That's my main concern. If that were to improve, and he's worked on it, then this kid has a spot in the league. He's going to be on a roster anyway because you cannot pass up on his freakiness. 
but uh, and he's a great kid, and he's only 21 years old. So he's going to be a very interesting guy because I don't like to say he's late first, early second. That's a cop out because that we can that means from 15 to 45, someone who's supposed to be a quote unquote mock draft expert is right. Oh, he's late first, early second. I'm trying to figure out whether he's a rotation player or an end of the bench player. And so I think right now he's an end of the bench player, which means I don't want to take him when I think I can draft a rotation player, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Coach, a guy we touched on earlier, uh, RJ Hampton, you actually said you, you, feel, you feel pretty good about this guy. Uh, I do, which, man. Yeah. Listen, I, I think uh, there, you know, there's guys like, I, I got to be careful how I say it. Like, I like Devin Vassell. I like him, okay? I like Patrick Williams. I, I like him. I like Aaron Neesmith. I like him. But I really like R.J. Hampton. Um, he's six foot five. He's, a, he's an above-average NBA athlete. He's in the top 10% of NBA athletes at that position. Um, from what I can gather, and he's a Dallas kid, so I watched him since his freshman year in high school. He loves to play. He's been with Mike Miller and Penny Hardaway up in Memphis and Tyler Ralph down in Dallas. Everybody tells me he is a gym rat. Um, he has a good feel for the game. The shot, similar to Denny Avdia, is tweakable. No doubt his shot is tweakable. By the way, I can't wait to see it because he has worked with Mike Miller, who, by the way, was a pretty good shooter in his NBA career. So I think, RJ, do not be surprised. Well, it's a, it'll be a crime if he's not in the lottery. Let's put it that way. I just think he's going to go somewhere between 8 and 14. He's too athletic. I mean, he's, he, to me, he's like Andre, a young Andre Iguodala. That's what Andre, Andre was this way coming out of, I think, one year in Arizona. So I, I like RJ. And I think the year down under, different than Melo, because Melo played on a bad team and had the ball and made a lot of mistakes and a lot of good plays. RJ had to be a piece of the puzzle on a good team. And he fit in, I thought, fairly well for the half a season he was down in the NBL. So I, I, do, like his, I do like his draft prospects. I think he's going to... I think he's going to be um, a good NBA player. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we we got to hit the, uh, the Arizona guys. Um, Josh Green, Nico Mannion. Uh, I, have, I have not been uh, overly impressed with the latter, uh, but I'm curious what you make of, of both of those guys. Well, you know, this is not a knock on Sean Miller because he's obviously a tremendous college basketball coach. I thought Nico was hurt by the fact that he really wasn't in an NBA system. Not that the system doesn't develop NBA players because Sean's going to teach you to play defense and he's going to teach you to compete. But in, offensively, because they played the two bigs, you know, they played uh, Big Zeke a lot, who's going to be a draft pick, and some of the other kids, Stone Gettings and uh, the big kid Christian, uh, real raw, uh, big bone kid. They play two bigs, and so there's really no spacing for a guard like Nico, uh, you know, as far as pick and roll, spread pick and roll. Believe it or not, Chris, he's going to have way more room in the NBA. I saw him get 26 against the best USA players in the Hoop Summit. So I believe in his talent. I believe that he's a gym rat. I believe also because there's a perception that he's dropping, that he's going to wear a healthy chip on his shoulder. And so do I, how do I see Nico? Um, I see him as a backup point guard in the NBA with a chance to get better, like a, to me, like a Stevie Blake that played a long time. Um, so I, I do like him. 
Um, but I also think you have to cut through the – and by the way, I've studied pick and roll with him, and I know he sees the court. I know he sees the court. The problem with Arizona was there wasn't much court to see because of the space. So I think he's going to be a – I think – listen, I'm not telling you he's going to be, you know, a superstar, John Stockton, but he'll, he'll play in the league for a while. He'll at worst be a rotation point guard. Josh Green I particularly like also. To me, I see Josh Green I see Danny Green. Um, I see uh, Josh is athletic. He's a good kid. Uh, of course, he's an Australian kid that came to high school in the States and spent the last four years here. I think it's uh, American Dad who went to play pro ball there. They, you know, but he's grown up in Australia. 6'6", athlete, uh, shooting potential, uh, 3 and D guy. I like him. I like him. I think he's going to be a good player. I think he's going to be a rotation player in the NBA. Take him where you want. You want to you take him at 19? Take him at 19. You want to take him at 28? Take him at 28. But somewhere in there, I think you're going to get a good wing defender, which, as Amin has pointed out on our – by the way, good time to drop in. Wednesday night, uh, Sirius XM NBA radio uh, uh, NBA preview show with you, me, and uh, Darth. Uh, Darth Amin. What's his? Darth Amin. <laughs> Darth Amin. El Hassan. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and and so I think that um, I I think I like this kid. I like Josh Green. I think Josh Green is going to be a, a a good a solid NBA player. And one last thing, because you're letting me ramble, um, there's only 25 stars in the NBA. Everybody else is a role player. So some of these kids may be disappointed, like when we tell them, like, "Hey, look, you're you're gonna play." Who was it that I said? Uh, oh, Precious Achua, whose family, by the way, is Nigerian. Um, but Precious Achua is gonna make a hundred million dollars if he just plays like Bam Adebayo, right? And Montrezl Harrell, just beat just beat those guys, and you're gonna make a hundred million. That's not bad for being a role player. No, of course. Well, we look. We've used the word self awareness, or this phrase self awareness, a lot on the draft show, and it's right. I mean, that's one of the and it's tough for young people because they're not uh, necessarily self-aware. It doesn't come naturally. But being self-aware and embracing, what do I have to do to stay in the league? It's not getting to the league. It's staying in the league. And what do I have to yeah. do to do that? And, and one last thing as we wrap this up, and I really appreciate you coming on today and, and allowing me to wax poetic. And, and uh, uh, I, I would have hated to have to hear myself talk for 55 minutes. But um, the one thing about self-awareness with international kids is almost all of them grow up in a team-oriented society you know what i mean yeah, like yeah. sports and particularly basketball and soccer in europe are real team sports i mean in the euro league sometimes the best player only plays 23 of the thir- of the 40 minutes it's a shorter game and so the self-awareness of the international kids usually is better because they're already used to being a team guy as opposed to what in aau had somebody you know you had your butt kissed and, and you're recruited, and everybody who recruits you tells you how great you are. So the international kids come usually with the self-awareness of, what do I got to do to fit in, and I'm, I'm going to be a great teammate, and I'm going to move the ball, which is why the game, I think, is becoming so much more fun to watch at the NBA level because of that influence of the international players. So uh, we got some good ones in this draft, and it's I think it's a, it's a typical draft where some years we've had as many as 15, 17 international guys taken and i think if you count the usa kids that went overseas or the international kids who came to college in the states i think you'll see that we'll probably have you know another quarter of the 60 players taken with an international connection 
Well, hey, Chris, I couldn't have done this show without you. Uh, usually Chris Tyler, my producer, is my sidekick, but we didn't need him today. Uh, <laughs> we, we, we enlisted you. I can't thank you enough. We're, ha- we're having so much fun on Wednesday nights with the uh, Sirius XM NBA radio, NBA draft preview show. And uh, by the way, I'm going to get a plug in because w- what are you doing now? ACC radio. Yeah, uh, 3 to 6 on uh, Channel 371. You pop it on uh, ESPNU Radio some? Every once in a while, we'll get on there. Uh, Yeah, so which is uh, 84. Oh, sounds good, man. Hey, always, uh, you know how much I love talking hoop with you. Thanks for uh, allowing me to uh, ramble today uh, as my my co-host. And uh, I'll see you on the show uh, later in the week. No doubt, Coach. Thanks for having me on today. Well, that was cool. I hope you got a lot out of that. My thanks to my, my colleague, Chris Patola, for uh, helping me out there. And, uh, you know, the draft is days away, and we're going to keep bringing you great content on Sirius XM NBA Radio. A lot of live shows, some tape shows that you can go back and listen to. Uh, I wake up in the middle of the night, and I put on Sirius XM NBA Radio, and I hear my voice. So it's kind of weird. But uh, lots of good content. And then, you know, guys like Frank Isola and uh, Geltz and Sam Mitchell and Eddie Johnson – Scalabrini, they're, they're all adding their input as well uh, to the NBA draft, which is upon us. And uh, kudos to all those young men who are going to get drafted, who had to wait a lot longer than they thought. And now we throw them into the fire in training camp, and we'll see how that works out. But uh, hope you enjoyed it, folks. Uh, you know how much I love doing this, talking international hoops. That's my goal every week. And you can bet, you can bet that next week I will bring you to another place in my world of basketball.